So it's just great. You're spread out doing the good thing here and um, staying healthy. And you look happy and excited to be in church. Isn't it just exciting to see each other <laughs> and hear about Jesus and his word? And I don't think we appreciated church enough until lately. We just so appreciate it. And we've been in a few churches lately, and the people are so thankful to come in and so thankful. They're, they're just um, excited. There's a new excitement, isn't there? And that's great. You know, sometimes it takes going through hard things where we appreciate you know, the, the things that we are allowed to have. So um, I come from California, and um, our governor is um, interesting. <laughs> I just heard that he said for Thanksgiving we have to be six feet apart, eat outside, not stay more than two hours, and we can use the restrooms if they're sanitized. And he would prefer we didn't sing. I go, Okay, well, it's just interesting, you know, where, where we go through, but, you know, it doesn't matter. And I think if we look at all of that, we look at the election, we look at politics, we look at illness, we look at fires downtown in Philadelphia and in other cities, and you know what? The Lord doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to look up. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. I actually get to talk about the rapture, and I'm really excited because we are closer than we've ever been before. And I think when we start focusing on those things, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it brings comfort. So we'll talk some about that tonight. I want to talk about the rapture, and I'm um, going to talk a little bit about church history and that. But I'm really excited because Joe on Sunday morning is going through Revelations, as you all know. And for those of you that don't or don't go here on Sunday morning, I really encourage you to. And those that this is online, you can get his services online. And he's um, in the first few chapters right now. But um, fascinating times to be going through Revelation. So anyway, I'm hoping I'm supportive tonight of all what he's doing and that my doctrine is all correct. And I've learned a lot from Joe, and he's great at bringing in so many things and so many facts and figures. So let's just pray before we begin tonight, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we get to come to your house again, and thank you that we get to worship. And thank you, Lord, that you have left us your word, and thank you that you've left us your Holy Spirit to teach it to us. And and tonight we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just come down amongst us and that he would... Teach us your word, Lord, that you would show us things out of it that we need to know. Each one individually here, some word of comfort for them, encouragement, direction, whatever that is, Lord, I pray that um, your spirit would just walk amongst us and minister to our hearts. And we'll give you this time in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. My middle son is a pastor up in the Silicon Valley in San Jose, California, and um, the other day he told a story in one of his sermons, and I happened to be listening, and um, I can pick him up online, so it's kind of fun when I can do that. But um, I had never heard this story from him before, but he said when he was five years old that apparently Don and I were out, maybe to dinner or something, but we had a babysitter. And it was time for bed, and he went to bed, and um, he was laying there all by himself in his little bed, and he said all of a sudden he just had this fear come over him, and he was 
doesn't ever remember being not afraid before. And he figured out that the babysitter was not paying much attention to him, and his brothers, who were just a few years older, were certainly not going to come to any rescue. Until he felt like he was totally on his own, and he was just so scared. You remember that when you were little? I remember times like that. And he pulled the sheets up to his nose, and he's laying there, and he's thinking, I am so afraid, and no one's going to help me. And he said, as he was had this feeling come over him, he looked at the end of his bed, and he was looking at the wall, and he said this thing started glowing. It was like this glow just sort of came. And he thought, it's an angel, and he went to sleep. He woke up the next morning, and he kind of focuses, and he looks, and he looks where that glow was on the wall, and it was a picture. I suppose lights were reflecting on it from outside, and it was a picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, holding the lamb in his arms. And what a comfort that is. And to realize that's exactly what was going on in that room, that the Lord had him in his arms. And that's what the Lord does with us. And on those days when you're afraid, or you're discouraged, or you're anxious, or you don't know what's coming, and we never know because it changes daily these days, just know that that good shepherd like we've talked about the last few years here, is holding you in his arms. He hasn't let you go. He won't let you go. He has you, and he's coming for you, and he's coming very soon for you. Turn, if you will, tonight to Titus. Titus chapter 2. We're just going to look at a couple verses in there. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That pretty well nails it, doesn't it? (laughs) Looking for that blessed hope. That blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. It tells us right here what he's talking about in the scripture. The blessed hope is looking for the return of the Lord. And so that's what we're going to focus on tonight, that blessed hope. Of course, in Billy Graham's book, it's, you know, talking about salvation, and, and you don't have any hope without that one. That's key. But then going beyond that and looking for his return, it's so important. A person um, that has hope has a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. As a person or thing that may help or save someone, hope is like that. It's grounds for believing that something good may happen. And of course, this blessed hope is that that something good that's going to happen is Jesus going to return for us. And that is something certainly that's going to give us hope. I love Max Accato, and one of the books recommended um, for your study for this week was a Max Accato book. But one of his books called Come Thirsty, I mean, he can word things like, other people can't. And, and I love his stories. But I read a story a while back about a girl named Carrie Annette. And she lived in an orphanage in Haiti. 
There were about 57 curly, dark-haired, um, uh, um, curly-haired kids, um, light, bright-eyed children. She was Creole, and she was fun-loving, and she was a girl of seven years old. She appears the same as everyone else at the orphanage. She eats the same food. She plays on the same grassless playground. She sleeps beneath a tin room roof, as all the other girls do, and they hear the rain as it often pours down in that part of the world, hitting that tin roof at night. And she seems to be the same as everybody else, but she's not. She's different. She lives in a different world. She lives in a world that Max called home to be. You see, she carries with her a handful of photographs. They are pictures of her future family. Carrie Annette has been adopted. Her parents came out to find her. They sought her out. They brought her pictures. They brought her a teddy bear, granola bars, and cookies, and she shared them with all her friends at the orphanage. She took the bear, and she handed it to the director and said that she was to guard her bear, but the photographs she kept tucked in her pocket, and she showed them to everybody. Whether they wanted to see them or not, she showed them the photographs. This is my future family. This is going to be my home. She, it, they reminded her these pictures of a home to be where she was going, and within a short while, they were actually going to come to get her. They promised that they would be there, that dad would come back for her, And she knows that that day is coming for her father to come get her. So every opening of the gate at the orphanage, her heart skips a beat. She's really excited. Are they here yet? Is he back? Any day now, her father will appear. He promised he'd be back, and he came once to claim her, and he'll come again to carry her home. Till then, she lives with a heart headed towards home. Isn't that a beautiful picture of us, our father, He adopted us. It's such a beautiful picture. And he sent his son to claim us and to find us and to pay the price for us because we couldn't pay it ourselves. And he's coming back for us, I think, really soon. And before you even knew that you were adopted, God searched you out. And he filed the paperwork. And he paid the price because he knew you couldn't pay it because you were a slave to the law. So he sent his son to buy your freedom, and he adopted you so that you would be his very own child. What a privilege. And the moment we accept that adoption, we are in the family of God, and that's the key. That's the key to the door. Heirs, it says in the scripture, and joint heirs with Christ. That is an awesome picture when you think about heaven and what that entails. And the only way we can have this hope, of course, if we receive that adoption, if we receive Christ as our Savior, that's how we join the family of God. It says that Jesus is the only door and the only way, and we have to come through him. We are a new creation in Christ. We are God's grace. It's good news. It's really good news. And in this verses that I just read, it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and um, Titus 2:11, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, 
we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now, this grace of God that adopts us by salvation into his family, if we'll allow it, is going to train us how to live, how to live that Christian life, that we will be good representation of this family of God. We need to live godly lives. It's very clear in this present age. It's very clear all through the New Testament that we need to live godly lives. And if you go back in the Old, it was very clear as well. In fact, in the last chapter in Revelation, it says those that behave in this bad way, and you can read those verses on your own in the last chapter, it says will not enter the city. Those that love and practice the lie, immorality, those kind of things, we need to know those verses. We want to enter into that city And we need to live like Christians. And you know what? You can't do it by yourself. And that's why he sent you the Holy Spirit. Because he'll live that Christian life through you. And if you think, I can't, I keep blowing, I keep blowing it. You know what? Ask the Lord to help you. And ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And have him take charge of your life so that you can live like you're supposed to live. We often think we're going to work so hard to be good and be a good Christian. And we we keep blowing it. But you know what? The Lord was the only perfect Christian, and he'll help you do it. He'll do it for you. You just have to say yes to it. You have to be willing, and you have to ask for that help, and he'll help you. That blessed hope, of course, is Christ's return. And in these days, I don't know how it's been so much here. Kathy's told me a little, but people are really fearful. Some of them are very angry. Where my son lives in the Silicon Valley, people get really mad. And, you know, they'll just look daggers at you if you don't have your mask on, like you're trying to kill them. And, and then I'll look past the masks, and I'll look in their eyes, and they're empty. Have you noticed that? And they're fearful, and they're quiet, and they're afraid. And I asked my son, I said, why are people so mean in your town? Why are they so angry about this? He said, because they're afraid, Mom. I said, what are they afraid of? He said, they're afraid they're going to die. And they don't know where they're going. And it all made sense to me. It made me merciful on those people. I just want to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to say, hey, I've got hope for you. You know, as, as we look at the world, it's a fearful. And if you look inside yourself, you're empty. But if you look at the Lord through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you get peace. Because God wants to create you in His image. And Psalm 17:15 it says as for me I will see your face in righteousness and I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness satisfied things don't satisfy down here too much but we'll be satisfied when we wake and and see his face and we're like him because he's been working on us down here you know those things that you go through those things that you're learning they're lessons i have to go through them all the time don't you I was dealing with someone recently who was quite fearful, and I was just trying to work with this, and it was making me anxious, <laughs> and I'm getting anxious. And then the Lord just showed me, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can choose to give this to me, or you can choose to be anxious about it. And that day, I just turned it over to the Lord, and you know what I started doing? I started praising him. And I cannot tell you the burden that rolled off my back, and pretty soon that other person felt better. And I just thought, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do in your life if we just turn this over to him. And talking a little bit, I want to talk, I want to go back. And Pink had this in his book of the history of the church. And I just want to briefly go through that because sometimes I think it's important to look at history to see why we are where we are now 
I think I don't want to make those mistakes again. And although these mistakes have already been, you know, done and we can't change them, I think we learn from these things and we can see things more clearly. I always want to know the why of things, you know. And um, lately, the news has been bothering me so much because there's so much fake news. And it's like people say all the time, I don't know who to believe anymore. I don't know who to believe anymore. And I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, it's so easy for them to tell lies. And they think nothing of it. News news people do that all the time. And then you find out it was because and I just think, how how do they just tell lies like that? You know, before in this country, if you told lies and you perjured yourself, you'd go to jail. And now it seems to be very acceptable. And I'm going, what is this Lord that's changing in our whole society? And the scripture just came. Satan, Jesus said, is the father of all lies. And I thought, we're heading to evil times. Uh, Joe, I think, was telling me that 61%, and he probably has told you this, of all evangelical Christians don't believe in absolute truth. In other words, you know, the Bible's not correct, God's not who he says he is, so we don't know. 61% of evangelical Christians, and I know you're not that way here because I know you get the word of God all week long here. And so you know it, and that's, that's the key. You've got to know the word of God. Because it says many will slip away. In the end times, people will shipwreck and fall away from the faith, and false teachers will come in. You better know this book. This is what you. This is your job right now. You've you got to get to know this book. It will protect you, and it will keep you on the right and the correct path. Well, Satan pulled another lie, and he says, Jesus isn't coming. He hasn't come in thousands of years. You think he's coming back? Have you ever heard people say that? I heard someone say that. Then I read a scripture on that where it said people will say he's not coming. And, you know, in a moment, in a twinkle in the eye, he's going to come. And so know that those things aren't true. The Lord's return was a great hope back in the early church. It was huge. It was key. Christ had died, he'd risen from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and the angel said, this same Jesus that ascended is coming back. And they all believed it. And they went around telling everyone, Paul and 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to give you some scriptures tonight, you just read them on your own and just jot them down. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, he reminded them how they had turned to God from idols, but they were to wait for his son from heaven. James wrote to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad in Revelation, be patient and establish your heart because the coming of the Lord draws nigh. James 5, 8. Peter expressed that he wished that the trial of their faith might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.7. John encouraged them to abide in Christ so that they would not be ashamed before him at his coming, 1 John 2.28. Be ready, be watchful. The Son of Man is coming in an hour when you think not. Read Matthew 24. Read Matthew 25. It talks about the virgins, the ten virgins in that parable. Five of them had the oil and their lamps were ready, and the other ran out of oil and they weren't ready. And so when he says, watch and be ready, that means we need to watch for the Lord's return. We need to understand prophecy. We need to understand this book. And we need to be ready, and you're ready when you're born again. And ask the Lord to fill you daily with himself and teach you what he wants you to know and to let you witness in these days. I think people are more open to the gospel. 
The events um, in order, I'm sure you have learned this many times if you've attended this church. If you're not and you just got invited and you're new tonight, some people want to know, well, how does this all fit together? Well, in a nutshell, most theologians believe that the rapture is going to come soon, very soon. All the prophecies have been fulfilled that need to be fulfilled before the Lord's return. And so they believe that first will come the rapture. Most people believe it will come first. I'll explain that in a minute. Some don't, but I am voting for that one myself personally. Uh, Secondly, after that rapture, the Holy Spirit comes and, and Christ comes down and takes the church out, which removes the Holy Spirit from this earth. So all the stops for Satan are taken out. And evil goes rampant. And the first three years, you'll think, yeah, it's not so bad. And the uh, three and a half years. And then you go into second three and a half years. It's a seven-year period. And it's the tribulation. And the next three and a half years are the great tribulation. And that is in Revelation that Joe's going to be teaching you about all the things that come down on the earth. And And lately, with all of this going on in the world and in the news, when I watch it, I keep hearing scriptures in my head come to me. Like, that was that was a prophecy. For example, Kathy just sent me this thing on the hairy caterpillar. And now we know about the murder hornet. Have you guys heard about these things? They're so disgusting. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, that's bad. And then I remember about the hornets in Revelation. And I don't know what that is exactly, but I'm going... There are murderous hornets. Maybe this is like, just gives me a view of what could come. You know, it just gives you that picture of, you know, it could get bad. These things really could happen. And these things in the scripture, some of them can be very literal. We don't know. But it's, it's exciting times to look at that. Um, luckily, they're not in your part of the country, so don't be afraid. I don't think maybe they had a, they were, they were in Seattle. What do you think? So... <laughs> They came over from Japan, and so they're trying to get rid of them. Anyway, these things are coming upon the earth. But first of all, you're going to have the rapture, the tribulation, the great tribulation, and then the second coming. And sometimes in Scripture, when you're reading about prophecy, you can get a little confused between the rapture and the second coming. So there are two different events. And the rapture is when Christ comes for the church And he's taking away the Christians and the saints out of this world. The tribulation comes. Satan's really running rampant. The Antichrist, the beast will come in. And then at the end of that, the second coming, and Christ will come down, and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. Satan will be bound, and he will be the great government, and we will reign with him. And also, after the rapture, when we go to heaven, there's going to be food. I'm real excited about this. There's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. I was telling this to one of my granddaughters the other day. We were talking about her dad's sermon, because he was, uh, Michael was really on fire last Sunday. I was at their church, and um, a week ago Sunday, and he was on fire, and he was talking about these things. He was talking about prophecy, and he was so on fire, and I said, your dad was really on fire today. She says, I know, we had to put him out. And then I said, well, he was talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be so great. What is, what's going to happen there? I said, I don't know. I think we're going to have a big feast. And she said, I bet we have chocolate cake. <laughs> I just love children's minds. They just make it all just down to earth and so precious. And I think the Lord says you must become his children. They enter in, and I, I just I love their little brains. 
So after that, um, we have the second coming, the return of Christ, and Jude uh, quotes Enoch in Jude 1, 14 and 15, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all. And at that time, there will be the great judgment at the end of that. And at the end of all that, Satan will be cast into the great lake of fire forever. Amen. Be so wonderful. But you know what? Right now we live today. And so we need to understand today and live for Christ the way he wants us to. And looking at church history, in Revelation, I want you to turn there. Just just turn over for a minute to the last chapter in the book of your Bible. It's Revelation 22. Because twice in this chapter, it talks about the Lord's return. These are the last words that um, we have in the scripture, and twice it talks about his coming, his return. Verse 7, Behold, I come quickly, and blessed is he that keeps the sayings and the prophecy of this book. You see, this book is really important. In the first century A.D., when John was finishing up Revelation in this canon of Scripture, the Lord himself sent his angel to give this message to each of the seven churches, which is what Joe's going through right now in Asia. Five of those seven churches talked about an imminent return of Christ. That's pretty important. And so the last words of John in this book from the Lord to us is verse 20. He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. It's going to happen. God never fails to keep his promise. And he promised that he's coming again. He's coming for you and me if we know him. How great is that? You know, before I go on and just mention another thing about church history, and maybe this actually came from Joe. Um, I got it from my son, but um, it, it's so clear about the return of Christ is so important in Scripture and his second coming. It's by far the broadest subject in the whole of the New Testament. One in every ten verses deals with it. Did you know that? There are seven passages in the New Testament that deal with new birth, and you know how important that is to be born again. There are about 20 that deal with repentance and faith. That, too, is very important to us. And there's about 70 different texts in the New Testament that speak of baptism, the Holy Spirit, and water baptism. So we know that's important in our Christian walk. But the second coming, the Lord's return, there are over 300 passages in the New Testament, by far more than all the rest. So that tells me this is pretty important, and the Lord wants us to think about it because he wants us to look for him and be ready and watch for him. When you look at church history, um, it's tragic that the message of Christ's return begin to grow dim. The immediate success, uh, successors, the apostles, after Christ died, They had their attention on Christ's coming and salvation and starting the churches and all that they did. 
but they begin to, after that generation, drift away. And remember, it was prophesied that false teachers would come in and these things would come up. And so instead of expounding on prophecy in the scriptures and telling the church of its one great blessed hope, this next generation of Christians in the church spent their time arguing and wrangling among themselves. Remember, Paul dealt with some of that in the beginning. False teachers crept in and began to devour the flock. And within three centuries, the whole professing church became paganized. That followed the Dark Ages. And into this Dark Ages came the Catholic Church. They were trying to fix this for people. They were trying to work this out. And they became very powerful in Europe. And instead of really expanding on salvation and that finished work of Christ, they really got into, we can do it ourselves. Let's work it out. we got to have a man we can talk to because where's Jesus? And so we, we have the statues of him. But we need to do penance. And we need to do works. And we need to do priestly meditation. And they, they begin to teach more that hope laid in man and subject to the Pope and the things that they could see, the tangible things and beautiful ceremonies. If you've ever been to Europe, some of the Catholic churches, oh, my goodness. I, I've been to the Pope's house, not to his house, but, you know, his church. And, and just the pillars and all the beauty. I mean, they made things so ornate and they were attracting the people. But this whole thing of the Lord's return and and faith in that began to grow so distant during the Dark Ages. There was a reason they called them the Dark Ages. A thousand years later, in the 16th century, God began to reveal himself again by raising up certain mighty men that discovered the scriptures. And one of them was Martin Luther. And he went back to the original language and he goes, hey, hey, we could say by faith. It's not the works we do, it's by faith. And then they begin to translate these scriptures for the common man so that they could have Bibles in their own homes and read it for themselves. And that's when the church began to grow again. And so they translated this. My husband's great-great-great-grandfather back in the 1500s translated the Bible into English. He went to Germany to work with Tyndale and translated it into English, brought it back into England, and they called him the father of the English Reformation. But he ran into Bloody Mary, and she had him burnt at the stake because of his faith and his teaching. But the gospel went on, and it eventually came to America. And so we are so grateful for that, because this was during the 15th century that these men were discovering and reading the scriptures, and it began to go out to the common people, and it began to change things. But it wasn't until the 19th century, three more centuries after that, that the cry came, went out, behold, the bridegroom comes, and they begin to look at the rapture and the second coming once again. And the church began to re revive somewhat. And then um, another group came and started looking for this blessed hope and Christ's return, and pretty soon we found ourselves in the 20th century and we landed in the Jesus movement. And one thing I've been thinking about with the Jesus movement is that era in history was not good. Talk about revolutions and problems like we have today. There was problems with the police. I remember the tear gas and people burning things. We had three main assassinations as far as the two Kennedys and Martin Luther King. We had uh, Charles Manson and his whole thing going on. We had another guy murdered 10 nurses or nine up in Chicago. I was in England in Bible school, and Don and I were reading this in the papers, what was going on in this country. Berkeley was going, Haight-Ashbury. Drugs were absolutely rampant. 
and the kids were immoral. And in the midst of that mess came revival. And doesn't that give you hope? You know, revival could really come right now in this mess because people aren't finding the hope. You know, we, we just we could try and put our hope in a candidate, but but you know, the only hope we can have is in Jesus. Really, He is the only one that will change men's souls and their actions and their whole heart. And so I would pray for revival. I've been praying for it. I said, I'd love this generation to see what I saw. It was so, so awesome. We brought a couple slides tonight. Um, Kathy helped me find them. If you want to put them up on the screen. I just wanted you to get a little picture of what that revival was because some of you are too young to know what it was. But as these kids begin to get saved and come, this was in Newport Beach. They came down to the ocean to get baptized. They, they baptized 900 people in a day. The next picture. And this is what these kids look like. They were young. They had the long hippie hair and the full waist skirts. And, and when they got saved, look what happens to them. She's got Jesus, if you can see, written on the back of her shirt out there getting baptized. I mean, you just were excited to be a Christian. It was so exciting. The next picture. Someone handed this to my husband, Don. He is on the your right as you look at that picture. And they didn't know who they had in it except for him. And they thought, we took this picture at the baptism, Don. We thought you'd want it. He said, do you know who's in that picture? They said, no. He said, that's my mother. Just baptized her. And someone got a shot of it. And that's Chuck Smith Jr., Chuck Smith's son on the other side. And so I thought, what a joy that we got that picture. But look at how happy she was. And she knew the Lord, but she went out that day to be baptized in the ocean at her age. And she was so excited. Then they built a tent because we outgrew the church. And so... That was the t- You can see that how packed out it was. You know, people, we, we, we couldn't hardly get them all in. We couldn't. And these kids carried huge Bibles, and they were proud of them. And if they had to sit out on the lawn, they'd sit out on the lawn, or they'd sit all down on the floor in front. They didn't care. Nobody cared. And there were things about that revival that I think were important that I really saw. I was talking to Kathy about this. And looking at that revival, one of the things in that that I really saw was of course, conversion, they came to the Lord, they were drawn, people witnessed like crazy to each other, and, um, and they would come. They would study the word of God, and they loved each other. They did not care who they sat next to, it was a complete stranger, and they'd put their arms around them in church, and they would sing these worship songs together. We sung a lot of scripture in worship songs, and, um, and, and the gifts of the Spirit were just everywhere. And no one was inhibited. It was like the Holy Spirit's presence was in the room. And no one was critical. Everyone was so excited to be there. That's revival. You're just drawn in. And you can't explain it. There's no explanation for this. It is simply a move of the Spirit. And we can pray for that again. How wonderful that would be. Prophecy came in. To the scriptures and we have them for a reason and know this that the purpose of prophecy and we talked one of the key things in that time was talking about the Lord's return we used to talk about the rapture could happen anytime and then we drifted away for the next 40 years 
And now we're looking again and going, you know what? It's closer than ever. And now we know all the prophecies are fulfilled. And as we look at them, I see more and more every day that fulfills them. The purpose of prophecy isn't to scare people. It's not to frighten them, but it's rather to make us aware of the time that we live in so that we can be looking for that blessed hope. We can be looking for the Lord's and we can be prepared and we can be ready for him to come. And I think you have to live every day like he's coming, but you have to work like he's not coming for many years. So you just do what you have to do every day to minister to people, to do your job, to live like a Christian for others until he comes back. We are to work till he comes. Um, How awesome the Lord was in that. Looking at our country, I read a book recently that I thought was, I haven't finished it, but the first part that I read, it was called When a Nation Forgets God. It was written by Erwin Lutzer, and he talks, he compares America to uh, Nazi Germany. Because you think, what happened to our country? Because if you know the history of our country, which started in Philadelphia, most of them were ministers that wrote your constitution. Most of them were Christians. And it's all based on scripture, the Ten Commandments, all these go into our laws. And those forefathers really prayed. I've told this before here. They went across the street and fasted and prayed for three days at the church where I think the Liberty Bell is now. And then they came back and, and wrote it. So in looking at this, I'm going, what happened to this country? Now, we're not in prophecy that I know of. Unless Joe can find it somewhere. I, I couldn't find it, but he's good at this. But we can't find it. So therefore, we're not significant in the end. I so said, what happens to us? And the thing that this book said, it talked about how... Hitler took over the country, how he lied to the churches and the pastors, and he controlled them with finances. He, he cut out the Christian schools, taxed them so high they couldn't afford to open, and, and turned against the evangelical pastors and put them in prison. And so he completely uh, had lied to them and all of that and took them down. They'd have key phrases, and he would train them as children. He would start in the school systems, and he would brainwash them. So it was really fascinating, and, and, and it, then it went to say, what happened to our country? And it brought out two things. It brought out evolution, that Darwin, um, in 1870, came up with this whole theory, and then they begin to teach it in your public schools as fact. You know where that is today. So now you just took God out of the equation. There's no God. You don't have to be moral because there's no soul. There's no God. When you die, that's the end. No wonder kids are nuts. There's nothing to live for. And I know a lot of kids that say that. They're very suicidal today. And another thing they did, they got into liberal theology. And they said they they stripped, he put it this way in the book, they stripped the Bible of their miraculous. And it became like any other book. And when you take God out and you take the word out, You've got disaster. The generations that followed are not accidental. Each step logically follows from what preceded it. The loss of the Bible leads to the loss of God, for in the Bible he is clearly revealed. And the loss of God leaves man at the mercy of his fellow man. You know, might makes right. So who's going to control you? And thus we have so much death. My son used to say, you know, your generation introduced 
abortion. Don't be surprised if my generation doesn't introduce euthanasia. And life isn't worth so much anymore. You can see the series of how this came down, 1800s, 1900s, and here we are in the 20th century with our country falling apart. God hasn't fallen apart. We're falling apart as a nation, but we're really falling into place. We are absolutely falling into place in prophecy. And you know what? It's exciting. Now, why is it that some people think that the rapture comes first and then the tribulation? I told you that's where I'm voting. I'd vote there if I were you, too, because you, when you read about tribulation, you really don't want to hang around. But when you read some of the scriptures, it says, you know, tribulation in the scripture is called the wrath of God. He is coming down to really lay out judgment on the earth because they have become so evil and so wicked. In the last days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. And uh, people will turn on each other. It's going to be bad. And Colossians 1.10 says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I'm hanging my hat on that verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 9. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. Noah is another example. God took him out. The whole earth was corrupt. He found one righteous man in his family. And what did he do? He took him out of his wrath. That flood was God's wrath. He was sorry he made man. They were evil continually. And so... God promised us a rapture that he was going to come and receive us unto himself, that where he is, we will be also. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. Don't be afraid. Now, the signs of the times are huge and they're everywhere. Read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. It will tell you about these last days, man's behavior. It says that there'll be perilous times. Just listen to this and see if it doesn't describe the news. Perilous times, men, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And then if it says in the times of Noah, so will it be in the last days. Let's look at Noah. Um, Matthew 24, verse 37, But as in the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marriage and giving in marriage until the day of Noah, and they entered the ark, verse 39, and did not know until the flood came and took them away. That's the way it's going to be in the, in the rapture. The Lord's going to come, and we're going to be gone, and we won't know what happened to us. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In Genesis 6:11 it says the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. And when I look at some of the news broadcasts and I see the violence, I'm going, wow, like in the days of Noah, it's coming. But there's precious verses in there in Genesis 6. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. And Noah walked with God. That's you. You can find grace in the eyes of the Lord in this generation. And you can walk with God. And God sees that. And he's taking care of us. In the end times, there's, think about all of these and, and how they've all been fulfilled. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's earthquake in different places. 
knowledge increases. I, I look at some of the things on knowledge and in the computer world and all of this is going on and I'm going, oh my goodness, it's even scary out there. And it says another thing that I smile at a lot, going to and fro on the earth, because that's what I do. I tell my friend Gail Mays, who's been here to speak, and, and, and we're both traveling, and I go, Gail, you and I are just fulfilling prophecy. We're going to and fro on the earth, and we all do. You all travel. You think nothing of getting on a plane and, and being in Europe in a few hours or on the other side of the country. But to me, the, the, the key for the timing of all this is Israel. When Israel wasn't a nation for thousands of years and has suddenly become a nation again, that, that has never happened in history, ever with any other nation. Once it's gone, it's just gone. And Matthew 24, 32 through 35 talks about when the fig tree begins to blossom, listen to this parable, it says, when it begins to blossom, you know that summer is nigh. And the fig tree in scripture talks about Israel. And so when it blossoms, Israel, it says in the end, would blossom like a rose. Do you know that Israel now supplies fruit to all of Europe? It's like, it's farmland everywhere. It's unbelievable what has happened in Israel. And what is the thing you hear about on the news all the time? Israel. Those of you that have been there, it's so exciting, isn't it? I mean, to see, it's just like, why would this little tiny nation in the midst of all these Arabs be so significant? Well, God said it would. And you look at the Bible and you go, everything he said happens. Everything he said comes to pass. So Israel is very key. And it says when... The, you know, when Israel becomes a nation, the generation that sees all this prophecy in Matthew 24, the generation that saw this will not pass away until all the prophecy takes place. And that would be Christ's return for the church. Verse 42, watch for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. It's coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So we just need to be ready and we need to watch. And know the times, expect him. And make sure you're saved. In the last eight months, I, as I've been watching the news, I told you, I keep, Scripture keeps coming to my head. And I just keep thinking, the Lord said, the earth is going to stop. And it totally stopped. I, I live in a state that has more roads, I think, than most countries in the world. And in California, freeways were empty. The airports were empty. And I watched the whole world stop. And I thought, God, what are you doing? And I thought, maybe he's waiting for those that are going to come to him to come to him. And they'll have to start thinking about it. Because some of them were scared. And they wanted answers. And he's going, I'm going to get your attention. You can't control this earth. You can't. Maybe... Many will get saved through this time. And then, in Revelation, it says that a third of the earth during the Great Tribulation will die of a plague. <laughs> and suddenly I saw how that could possibly happen as I watched the news. And then another thing. I'm watching Fox News, and there's Franklin Graham giving the gospel. Clear. Have you heard it? How many of you have heard it? Unbelievable. I, it was a joy in the whole COVID thing. I'm going, yes, this is fabulous. And he's telling you how to be born again. Just pray this prayer with me. And it's continued. I just saw him last week again. And I thought the whole earth would hear 
this gospel before I come. That station goes all over the world. You can be in Israel, South America, you can get Fox News. And you can watch Franklin Graham lead you in a sinner's prayer. The whole earth will hear this gospel. Go, wow. You know what? These are the most exciting times to live. It truly is, because you're just watching all of this come to pass that you've read about. And then it says that, you know, Gog and Magog will come down, the nations from the north, and that one of them will have, is it a million or two million strong in their army? And we know that China claimed that a few years ago. And then on the news this week, it was just saying that Russia and China are getting together. And the scripture's clear that the armies of the north will come down into Israel, and that will be the end. That will be the battle of Armageddon before the Lord returns. And they want to come down into Israel, it would appear, because they've discovered a huge wealth of oil in Israel. And they need oil. Is this not exciting times to live? I mean, you really need to tell your neighbors and your friends and say, wow, do you know that what the Bible says is happening? It's more updated than the local news. And it's not fake news either. It's true and it's real. Watch and be ready. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, or mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9. You might put that on your fridge. Isn't that a wonderful verse? We have no idea what he has for us. We're not falling apart. We're falling into place. And it's so exciting. We need to look up because we're headed home. And like Carrie and we have been adopted and we need to carry God's picture in our pocket. And I think of that as this book. Just keep it with you. Read it every day. Carry his picture of himself in your pocket like she did. And she said, my dad's coming to get me. He's coming. And I've said so many times lately, I believe that Jesus is on the doorstep just waiting to come in. And where we're going, <laughs> there's going to be streets of gold and gates all of pearl and mansions for you. Someone said, yeah, but I don't want to clean a big mansion. I said, I don't think we're going to have to. I don't believe there's dirt and dust in heaven, but I don't know that. But I'm sure that it's going to be a joy. Whatever it is, it's going to be so exciting and wonderful. We can't even imagine what it's going to be. We don't need to be frightened in this world. We have the comfort of the Lord's blessed hope in his returning I've told this story here before, some of you might remember, but it just so fit. A few years ago, I was speaking at a retreat at a place called Marietta in California, and I got up early Saturday morning. I was going out to do um, the retreat, and we had renovation done on our kitchen and bathrooms, which is the hardest renovation, because like that, you know, you're using a burner to cook your food, and it's just, it was just really difficult. So we had this done. It was supposed to take a certain amount of time, and it always takes longer and costs more. You know the whole thing with renovation. So, so we're doing this. We're involved in this. We're coming down to the end, and the last day that they were putting in the bathroom mirror, it cracked. That is just one piece of that whole thing that happened that kept going wrong. And the guy that was working on the job kept being on the phone outside, and we thought, what's, what's he doing? Does he have a lot of other jobs? And then found out later that he was having an affair. He had a wife and kids at home, and he got fired. So everything is like, this whole thing was just the craziest renovation. 
And I'm driving out to speak at this retreat on a Saturday morning on a California freeway. And I said, Jesus, it was nothing for you to make that renovation, just simple. I'm trying to serve you. Don's trying to serve you. And yet that was, has been a pain. And, and why? You could have made it smooth. I know you could have. It's nothing. You can raise the dead and heal people and everything else. Why didn't you make that simple? And you know what? I felt like you spoke to me. Not out loud, but in my head. Because I wouldn't have come up with this on my own. He said, because you're not home yet. And nothing in this world is going to be perfect. I just want you to get that picture. But when you get home, your mansion's going to be perfect. The streets are perfect. I am perfect, says the Lord. It's going to be beautiful, more than we could ever imagine. So if you get discouraged, and some of your days might be a, a little bit harder, remember he's coming for you. And remember that you're not home yet, so it doesn't matter. It's going to pass away. It won't matter. And I would encourage you to remember the words from this song that Love Song sang in those hippie days. This is one song that sticks in my head all the time. And they said, you know, the little country church, going to church. Some of you heard this song. And they said, reach out to Jesus with one hand and with the other bring a friend. And that's what you need to do today. If we're talking about this blessed hope, then I would encourage you to tell other people you don't have much time and pray for them. You can't always talk someone into it, but you can pray and the Holy Spirit prepares the way. So pray for that, pray for that, and don't give up. I have had people that I have prayed for, family members, that were just hopeless. And God reached out his fingers and pulled them in in the most miraculous way. And he can do that for you. Maybe some of you here tonight Got drug in here through a friend. You don't know why you're here, but, you know, it was kind of nice to see other people and sit in church for a bit. But you know what? If you don't know the Lord Jesus and you're not born again, you're not ready for the rapture. And I want to encourage you tonight to come and pray with these girls afterwards. And they're going to pray the sinner's prayer with you like Franklin Graham prays. And they'll give you a Bible. But if you don't know him, all you have to do is just say, Dear Lord Jesus, Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life and be my Savior. And I want to go to heaven with you one day. And he promises he will take you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you that you make it clear, Lord. It says you'll make it clear to your people, and your Holy Spirit will explain it to us. And Lord, we're so excited that you're coming. We're watching and waiting for you. And as we watch this world disintegrate around us, it's just so exciting, Lord, that you haven't forgot us, that you're coming. I pray, Lord, for each one in this room, if there's any that doesn't know you as their Savior, that this will be the night that they pray this prayer. They won't put their head on that pillow without receiving you, Lord. We don't know if it's our last night. We don't know if you'll come tonight. Lord, we don't want it to be too late for people. And go into that tribulation, Lord. So I pray that they would, they would come to know you now, Lord, those that might be watching online. I pray that they would receive you. Lord, I pray that you would give all of us that know you people to share the gospel with often, daily, even words of comfort to other Christians, people that are discouraged, 
people that are suicidal, that have given up, that want to quit. Lord, there's all this blessed hope in you. May that just come out of us. May we be light and salt in these dark days. Lord, would you send us one more revival before you come? Lord, even for our young people, that they might see you, that they might get on fire for you, that you might clean up their lives. They're so hopeless in this generation, Lord. Lord, we cry unto you for your help. Forgive us for our sins. Thank you that you love us, that you promise to forgive us, that you promise that you will take us home to be with you where you are when we are your children. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.